Simmons K. Talk YA now presents Blue Lily, Lily Blue, Part 1, from The Raven Cycle, by Maggie Stiebotter. back to MNK Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week we started the third book in the Raven Cycle Quadrology <laughs> by Maggie Stiefvater. And we read up to chapter 26. Uh, this book is called Blue Lily, Lily Blue. Which sounds like more of a tongue twister than it should. <laughs> like when I look at it, it doesn't look like a tongue twister. But every time I try and say the title, I like... I don't know. Like I just did? Yeah. <laughs> it's not if There's a lot of L's in there or something. But Yeah. Okay. So we're back in Henrietta. <laughs> <laughs> Where it all started. Cadeswell is there. So that's always yep. a good thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Adam is still a magician. Yeah. Ronan still pulls things from his dreams. Mm-hmm. Sure does. Noah is still a ghost. Yeah. And he's getting a little... Some things are happening with Noah. He's, yeah, getting a little ghostier, if you will, yeah. <laughs> as, as people say. <laughs> um, and Blue is, I mean, I just, I in a good way, I feel like actually the story is progressing and people aren't just like changing completely all the time. We still have a lot of questions. Blue's pretty mad at her mom. Yeah. Because her mom, at the very literally end of the second book, disappeared with a cryptic note. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we've now seen her mom, and her mom was like, maybe I should have rethought that note, which did make me a little bit happy. Yeah. Although her other thoughts for rewriting the note weren't much clearer, to be honest. <laughs> I liked all the, like, P.S., P.P.S., P.P.P.P. Pie is not a meal. <laughs> I like that one. Uh, Mallory is there. Yes, and... Ronan is, like, a little jealous of him, I feel, because he's spending all of his time with Gainsey. Yep. And Ronan and Adam are becoming more buddy-buddy than I feel like they were even before. I know they kind of had, they had, like, kind of hints of it before, I guess, Mm -hmm. with Ronan helping him, or defending him against his dad and giving him money and stuff, but I feel like now they're actually having scenes with the two of them, not on accident. Yeah, because doesn't Ronan take Adam to the barns? Yeah, yeah. So Ronan has a little side project because we had a big revelation, but his side project is trying to keep his dad's dreams awake in regular life because we know if you've been pulled from a dream and the dreamer dies, everyone like goes to sleep like a computer turned off or whatever. Right. Um, so he doesn't want, he, he's brought his mom to Cade's Water where she can live as long as she's like in that forest Mm -hmm. and he's trying to make it happen outside of the forest and why is that marissa why is he so concerned because we learn that matthew his brother was also something ronan dreamed up yeah well something ronan dreamed up is like a three-year-old so i guess he's had this ability forever and he pulled i feel like that would be like an extreme level of dream pulling to bring a person to life out of your dream and how old was he when he pulled him like i know he was three but how old was matthew did he pull out like a child did he pull out matthew as like a 15 year old as he is now like does he age i think he pulled out an infant (laughs) and he's been aging but i guess i don't actually know that for sure but he just like Um, wanted a brother so he dreamed him up But he had a brother and so and then and declan was the one who told him this and he's still coming back for church every week, even though he's off in D.C. or whatever. Um, and I still have so many questions about Declan and what he really knows and how bitter he is about everything. And I just, I feel like he has more secrets up his sleeve that we need to know. I think you're right. But I'm also, I'm more curious about Matthew because I want to know, like, what kind of agency does he have as an, as his own person? Or is he somehow tied to Ronan and, like, we don't even realize it? Yeah, I guess I'm curious about that, too, because even the raven, right? Mm -hmm. That's like the first living dream thing that we've really gotten to know very well has like a really strong tie to Ronan, but it does seem like it has its own agency, right? Yeah, that's true. I think it does. So I wonder if it's like once you bring it into the real world, 
it's kind of real. I don't know, because even I'm trying to think about like the electronic stuff that doesn't make sense that works from his dad's dreams still work in their own weird way, right? Like without plugs and stuff. Yeah, that's true. But that's like completely different from a human being thinking. I don't know. But I think that's a good question. I'm very curious to see that too. But yeah, and he's super concerned now because he knows if the dreamer dies, the dream objects are trapped in this like zombie state. And he really doesn't want that to happen to Matthew. So now Ronan's trying to dream up pieces of caves water because his theory is if he can bring caves water to the objects maybe they can wake up so they don't have to his mother doesn't have to like live in caves water forever yeah yep and now the other thing that we learn is that we always we said like oh who's gonna be the new bad guy and now the new Mm -hmm. bad guy is green mantle who is the new latin teacher gray man's old employer yeah and the one who ordered the gray man to kill ronan's father yes and he's there with his wife what's her name again piper or piper. Poppy or yeah. something yeah piper um who's also kind of an interesting character i can't quite figure her out yet but uh yeah i love the scene when the gray man walks in and like has her at gunpoint and she's just like very casual about it <laughs> she's like can you please give me some more cheese she's just like i'm late for <laughs> yoga yeah can you get less cheese on the next cracker and even finding out that she's the one who was reading mm-hmm. the gray man's reports and like so it's kind of they her and her husband have an interesting relationship and I'm also kind of curious to see why she cares if it's just like loyalty to her husband or if she has her own kind of motive for some of this stuff yeah because now Green Mantle and Piper are gonna go they're looking for Mara now underground because they want they know the gray man is in love with Mara and so they want to Mm -hmm. find Mara to like use her against the gray man so that they can get the gray warren which they think is still an object yep and technically, the Greyman has not lied to them, but luckily, he also hasn't told them it is Ronan yet. <laughs> right. But Ronan now knows what Grey Mantle is doing, so he's trying to dream up something to blackmail him with. Yep. To get revenge. Or that was, yeah, that was at least the suggestion. Yep. So he is going to be dreaming up something with Adam. He wants Adam's, Adam to help him with this. Um, Speaking of other secrets Adam now knows about people. Oh, yeah. So the last chapter we read... Adam figured out that Blue knows that Gainsey's going to die this year. So he doesn't know all the details, but there was reference to the death list because this guy whose farm or whose cave they're trying to go into, Jesse... Ditley. Ditley. Great name, Jesse Ditley, um, was on her list. So she referenced that in talking to them and he could like pick up on that she was hiding a piece of it and like put two and four together. And so he knows Gainsey's on the list yeah and now adam is remembering that vision he had the first time he went into capes water where um he has that vision of Gainsey dying and he is somehow responsible for it so now adam's like yeah. i'm gonna make sure this doesn't happen yeah and it's funny how like their wishes are all changing now so adam was like if i wake up the king i'm gonna wish for Gainsey not to die and Gainsey mm-hmm. says now, if he wakes up the king, he's going to ask for Noah's life back. Which, I'm not even sure if Noah wants, to be honest. He's uh, being really weird right yeah, now. Yeah, I know. He is weird because he because Gainsey has that moment where he's like, I've been looking for, for Glendor for so long, I don't know who I am without him, and I don't know mm-hmm. how to be that person again. And Noah says, I feel the same way about being alive again. Like, he doesn't know how to be alive again. So, yeah, yeah I don't know what's going to happen to Noah. And he's been like... Um, reenacting his own death a lot lately. And just, like, losing control in weird yeah. ways. Like, um, Blue, who's generally been like, yeah, share my energy, be here, what's up, buddy, has had to block him off a couple of times now. And then when they were at Jesse's farm, where there's supposedly this curse, Noah, like, wasn't even fully Noah. Right. And was, like, all up in her face, and she couldn't distance herself from him. And Jesse put a mirror up, which somehow helped, right. but also seemed to hurt Noah. Yeah, he turns into, like, his eyes go all black, right? And he turns to, like, yeah. a zombie or something. So I don't know what's happening to Noah, but I I think it's interesting that um, Noah kind of has a theory that Cabe's water wants to be woken up, and he thinks that that's why it saved Gainsey and killed him, because he mm-hmm. was like, Cabe's water somehow knew that Gainsey would wake it up. And he didn't, it didn't think Noah would, would do it, yeah. which is kind of an interesting theory. 
Which I'm still trying to figure out because now we've heard there's three people sleeping on the ley line. So our assumption is that one is the guy we're looking for. And we're not sure who the other two are. Do you think one of them's her dad or something? It's a good question because they also said one of the sleepers should not be woken up. Yeah. But we don't really have any more detail. Yeah, I know. Like... I, well, obviously, I guess if I'd grown up this way, I'd feel differently. But her aunts drive me, or front family friends or whatever, are driving me crazy because I feel like they give half information and maybe that's all they're able to give or whatever. But yeah. sometimes it feels like they're intentionally just being really cryptic. And I, I'm like, oh my goodness, like her mom is missing. This is like life or death stuff that they're dealing with here. <laughs> yeah. And they're all being, they're being very flippant about it. Yeah. But I guess that's also just the way, like, they just get information differently and they maybe that's all they are able to share because it's all they know or whatever, so. Oh, and there's more people in the house. We haven't talked about them too much, but there was reference to a bunch of, like, other people one day when she was calling Gainsey. That has to be so annoying for her. (laughs) (laughs) There's one more thing that I was thinking of that we should definitely recap, but there are... I just feel like there's a lot of moving pieces again and things are kind of connecting and there is stuff from the last book and the first book kind of coming together and I feel like we're at least kind of sort of moving forward even though we're still hitting a bunch of roadblocks. And I, f- I feel like we are getting closer to Glendor though, don't you? Because like oh, yeah. there's these caves that they're exploring and like they have that one moment where Gingazi falls down the hole and he thinks he hears hornets but then it's a bunch of ravens and the ravens are saying the Raven King make way for the Raven King. And that happened in the mm-hmm. last book, too. Yeah. But I don't know, like, <laughs> where all the pieces are leading. And his, his allergy has come back, and they're talking about school again. I just, I'm not sure how they all fit together, but I feel less like this is a separate, like, the second one, you know, we were kind of talking about it, almost felt like they abandoned the first mm-hmm. storyline. I sort of feel like this one is bringing everything together again. And it's still, like moving in a lot of different ways in a lot of different places, but I'm feeling more comfortable that things are moving together. Yeah. I have a question for you. Who was the guy with the Aglionby sweater who showed up for the reading and he takes the three of swords, the heartbreak card? Was that Green Mantle? I think it was, yeah. Okay. Because I think he was looking for Mora. Oh, right, right, right. And I still have a lot of questions about him in general. Like, I, I get a sense that he just likes to, like, be right, be in charge, collect things, get answers. But I'm kind of curious why he's like that or how he – or if there's something bigger that he's searching for. Like, does he just want this dream maker thing because he knows it's out there? That's my question. What does he want to do with it? Yeah. Because we know taking things out of dreams is what's sapping Cave's Water. So that's why Cave's Water only appeared after Ronan's father died. Because mm-hmm. his father was taking such big things out of it, it was, like, sapping all the energy. Yeah, I like that yeah. connection that they, like, tied that together. And they also were saying, because at one point they were going to make, like, a fake one, like an object that they could just give him that would help him do this, but then they were like, that would take, that would also be zapping right. energy, so it's not going to help anything. Yeah. So I feel like now where it ended is Blue, Blue is going to try and go into this cave with the Raven Boys, right? Yeah. It's like Cooper's Mountain mm-hmm. is where it is. But the guy whose property it's on, Jesse Ditley, he says the cave is cursed and that his father and his grandfather and basically all his Ditley ancestors mm-hmm. died in it. But it only kills them when it's ready, which is kind of interesting because it, it almost sounds like this cave like has a curse that it needs to feed every so often. Yeah. And it sounds like it like gets more and more agitated as the years go on. So, like, it'll be satisfied for a few decades. Like, basically, his family left right. town because it was, like, acting up. And they know he's going to die and that eventually his son is going to die in the same cave. But they'll come back as soon as he's dead, pull his bones out, and live happily for a couple decades before they have to deal with it again. <laughs> and Jesse Ditley was on the list of people that Blue saw was going to die yep. this year. So he's he's one of the souls that she saw on the corpse road. So Blue's worried... You know, it, she, she was basically like, if we go into this cave, we could bring about Jesse's death. So that's something we have to consider. Yeah. But she was also saying, basically, they don't know cause and effect. And I'm glad they acknowledge that because that's kind of what I've been saying with her curse about the kiss. Like, just mm-hmm. because she kisses someone doesn't mean the kiss causes death. Or, you know, like, there's all these, like, technically it could be true, technically not. So just because he's on the list doesn't mean anything they do will, 
maybe if they do nothing, he would die because of that. Maybe if they do something, he'll die because of that. Or maybe he's going to die either way and it's unrelated or, you know, I mean, you just, it's hard to know. But it does seem a little suspicious if this cave likes to eat his ancestors and <laughs> they want to go inside it and he's supposed to die. <laughs> um, so that actually inspired my research this week. Oh boy, is it creepy? Not, but yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so okay, wait, before you do okay, this, I, so James and I finally watched Sabrina on Yay. Netflix, and I told him at one point, I was like, don't worry, Marissa told me it's not that scary, and now he, like, will not take your word for anything on the scary scale. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, you know what, I was thinking of you, because I, I didn't think the first couple episodes were scary, and then I got to, like, the dream sequence episode, and I was like, I need to tell Katie immediately that this is actually scary. <laughs> And it wasn't that that like we got through it. It wasn't terrible. I didn't have nightmares or anything, but it was definitely not not scary <laughs> for any of our listeners who are still considering. Anyways, please tell me your research now. <laughs> um, okay, so I researched famous curses. Ooh. So basically, I researched objects that said to, are said to carry curses. Okay. And some of these are really cool. Cool. Okay. So. Um, <laughs> I, okay, I won't go into detail about this one because it's super long, but apparently the Hope Diamond is said to be cursed. I feel like I've heard that before, actually, but what's supposed yeah. to be the curse about it? It's just like everyone who owns it has something bad happen to them. Yeah. But there's also a theory that um, it, it's just rumored to be cursed and people kept spreading rumors about it in order to drive up the value of the diamond. Hmm. So I thought it would be like be to keep people away from the diamond. How does it drive up its value to... Like, if there's hype about it, like, ooh, the curse does. I guess. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but the ones I'm going to talk about are... Um, the first one is The Curse of the Crying Boy Painting. Okay, this sounds creepy already. <laughs> this is a book I would not pick up in a bookstore. Okay, go on. So, The Crying Boy was uh, one of a series of paintings by the artist Giovanni Bragolini. Bragolin? Bragolini? Um, and it was completed in the 1950s. Okay. And... The painter said that he had made the painting of an orphan whose parents had died in a house fire. Um, and legend has it that a priest warned the painter that every home the boy was let into was destroyed due to a fire at one point or another. And so the painter didn't believe him, so he took the boy into his studio to paint him. And sure enough, after he painted the boy, his studio caught fire as well and burned down. Oh my goodness. How old is this boy supposed to be? He's like a child. He's not like an arsonist, right? No, okay. no, no. He's a child. Okay. But then um, rumors started growing that the painting of the boy, if it was brought into your house, it would cause your house to burn down. So um, oh, there was a case of May and Ron Hall bought a copy of the painting, and their house caught fire soon after they purchased the painting, and the house, <clears throat> the house fire spread really quickly, destroyed everything on the ground floor, and the only item that remained intact was the painting of the crying boy on their living room wall. Wow. And it was completely unscathed. Whoa. There was a firefighter then who claimed that he had attended at least 15 house fires where everything was destroyed except the picture of the crying boy, like copies of it. Hmm. Um, so there was a lady in Surrey who lost her house to a fire six months after buying the painting. Uh, there were two sisters in Kilburn who had fires in their homes after buying a copy of the painting. There was a lady from the Isle of Wight who attempted to burn her painting without success, and then she went on to have a, a run of bad luck. I would not bring that painting into my house. Yeah. Even if I didn't necessarily believe it, I just, why, who, no. There was a pizza, a pizza parlor in Norfolk that was destroyed, including every painting on its wall except for that one. <laughs> oh and then... It's said that even rational firefighters refuse to have a copy of The Crying Boy in their homes. I mean, yeah, I don't blame them. Totally. I wouldn't either. So where is the actual painting now? That's a good question. I have no idea. I wonder if we know anyone who has a copy of it. We should warn them. Yeah. If any listeners have a copy of this, tell us. Um, okay. So apparently James Dean's car was also cursed. So he had this uh, silver Porsche it was, and he named it Little Bastard. <laughs> Love it. And <laughs> it was the car he died in following uh, an accident in, in 1955. And the car was purchased by a, a hot rod designer, George Barris, 
who plans to sell the car for parts. And the curse basically said that every part of this car that was sold somehow led to tragedy for the people who bought it. So um, I guess the car fell at one point and crushed a mechanic's legs. And then a doctor bought the engine and then was, and then was killed in a car accident. Um, another victim who bought the transmission was severely injured in a crash. Um, the guy who bought the tires, they blew out simultaneously and he had to go to the hospital. And then the shell of the car was being transported and during that process, the truck carrying it crashed and the driver was killed. Um, and then oh man, the shell of the car was stolen and its location is now unknown. So what's the theory behind like why... Like, do they know what cursed his car or like why no, is it cursed No, that's like, that's so strange. Okay. Like, Just something yeah. about it that is, that is creepy. Oh, here's one where there is kind of an explanation. Okay. So this is called Busby's Stoop Chair. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so in North Yorkshire back in 1702, there was a man by the name of Thomas Busby who married um, a woman named Elizabeth Oddy. Okay. And her father was very opposed to the marriage because he claimed that um, Busby was a drunk. And so he thought he da- his daughter could do better. So one day, uh, Busby returned home and his father-in-law was sitting in his favorite chair. And mm-hmm. his wife's father announced that he was there to take his daughter back. And so Busby took a hammer and bludgeoned his father-in-law to death oh and goodness. hid the body. Well, in his father-in-law's defense... That does kind of make him an unsuitable match for the daughter. Very true. Now that he murders people in her family. Okay, go exactly. On. <laughs> um, so as Busby, so I mean, he was caught and he was executed for killing his father-in-law. But um, it said it was said that as he was being led to his execution, he reportedly shouted that anyone who sat on his favorite chair would die. Wow. And apparently, this chair has claimed an untold number of lives over the last 300 years like are people dying while sitting in the chair well no so like first there were two two men who were like daring each other to sit on the chair both did and then both died in a car crash later that day creepy then there were a group of builders who came into the pub the chair was moved to a pub um and it was the pub was named busby stoop inn (laughs) and they dared a laborer to sit in the chair, and he did. And then the same day, he fell off a roof and died. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's another thing. I just wouldn't tempt feet. No, exactly. And so after all these deaths happened, they gave the chair to the Thirsk Museum and said, please take this chair, but you can only take it if you agree to never let anyone sit on it. So it's been there since 1978, and the chair is displayed high up on a wall so no one can sit on it. <laughs> That's great. I thought that was so funny. That is funny. I'm glad. At least someone's being smart about it. Yeah. Um, okay, this last one's kind of interesting, too. This is called the Bazano vase. Okay. So there was a vase in the 15th century that was given to a bride on the eve of her wedding in Napoli, Italy. And uh, unfortunately, the day before her wedding night, she died. And some say she was murdered uh, with the vase in her hands. Why do they think she was murdered? I guess there was suspicious circumstances surrounding the death. I mean, like, did who would want her dead? Or do you know? Good question. Maybe her bridegroom? Okay. I don't know. I'm <laughs> speculating. I just like to ask other questions besides the creepy stuff. Okay, go on. So after she died, they took this vase. And it was said that anyone who took possession of the vase died soon after and so many people died that the family buried the vase underground and a man found it years later in 1988 he he found this vase uh, I guess he like dug it up on his property and he found the vase and on it there was a note that said beware this vase brings death so he auctioned it off and as you do I guess and the pharmacist who bought it died within three months wow um, then the, the, his family sold the vase to a doctor who then died at the age of 37 only a few months later. Then it was sold to an archaeologist who died of an infection three months after buying it as well. Oh my goodness. And then the final owner died one month after buying it. And at that point, the family was so convinced of the curse that 
the final owner's family threw it out of a window in an attempt to like break the curse and the vase hit a police officer killing him <laughs> no it didn't kill him okay and it hit this police officer and so the police officer like like stormed upstairs and like confronted the family and he was gonna find them for littering and the family was like we'll take any fine you give us but we will not take the vase back <laughs> <laughs> And then I guess the police officers tried to give the vase to a museum, but by then word about the cursed vase had spread and no institution would accept it. So finally they buried it in a lead box underground in an undisclosed location. My goodness. (laughs) How it would be interesting if like instead of like if you wanted someone dead, instead of murdering them, you just like gifted them a cursed vase. A cursed object. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that was my research into cursed objects. Well, I took a completely different direction with my research this week. Okay. So we have Mallory from England visiting to help with their ley line adventures. Mm-hmm. And he brought a service dog. He sure did. So I looked up different kinds of service dogs. Oh, <laughs> I needed some, like, puppy pictures and hearing about things. So, but actually... um. On my, like, life bucket list, I've always wanted to help raise a seeing eye dog puppy yeah. or something. So I'm, I've been curious about this for a while. But um, so there are 10 different types of service dogs that I read about. Oh, my goodness. I didn't realize there were even that many. Um, so the most common that you probably often think about are guide dogs for the visually impaired or blind. Mm-hmm. Um, usually they're retrievers of some kind, either labs or goldens, but, uh, a lot of other breeds could also be this kind of service dog, like poodle or whatever. Um, what, a lot of what they do is basically just help them get around and avoid obstacles and, and whatnot. But this, I did not know. They've been helping, or guide dogs have been helping visually impaired people from Roman times, they think. Whoa, that long ago? Yeah. That's amazing. And also, just kind of a fun fact, they don't need to wear a vest. So some dogs will wear like a I'm a service dog vest or whatever. Mm -hmm. But um, the Americans with Disabilities Act does not require it. So a lot of times they also will not be wearing that. So just because a dog doesn't have a vest on doesn't mean he's not working. Yeah. Um, Hearing dogs are another kind of service dog. So if you have a hearing impairment, your dog, your service dog can help alert you to different noises so either like a crying baby or different alarms or doorbells Um, and what they'll do is usually touch the human and lead them toward the noise and they said again uh, labs and golden retrievers tend to be hearing dogs but a lot of other breeds have successfully been trained as well and the assistance dogs international said that they've had a lot of luck with some smaller uh, mixed breeds that they've gotten from animal shelters even so different terrier oh. mixes and lasso apsos and chihuahuas have the right personality and temperament to be helpful there huh banjo's part chihuahua and she would be useless as a service dog i know okay so i'm reading this article while my dog dropped a bone behind the bed and would not <laughs> stop pawing at the bed and barking and i couldn't oh. see it i was like looking i was like there's nothing down there and i was worried he's gonna bark this whole time but i finally climbed under the bed and found it um <laughs> So the next kind is a mobility assistance dog, and they can do a wide range of tasks for people who have mobility issues. They can bring them objects. They can, you know, push buttons or open doors or help them, like, serve as kind of a support to help them get in and out of chairs or out of the bed or move their legs around or pull a wheelchair up a ramp or all kinds of things. So if you, if a person has had, like, a spinal cord injury, a brain Mm. injury, uh, arthritis, etc they may have a have a need for a mobility assistance dog usually they are larger dogs because they will like help physically support a human yeah um so then there's diabetic alert dogs and this is especially interesting because i've been i have some people i know who are recently um diagnosed with diabetes and my fiance's mom used to be a diabetic nurse trainer or like she would train nurses on treating diabetes and stuff so I've been reading a lot about this anyways but it's kind of scary stuff and so there are chemical changes when your blood sugar fluctuates too much that I guess 
create some kind of scent that dogs are more able to detect than humans. Ooh. So it's like generally not perceptible to humans, but they can kind of notice that hyperglycemic or hypoglycemic event um, by scent and alert their human that their blood sugar levels are too high or too low before it becomes too dangerous. Okay. So they train them to alert them, and then the human can test their blood and um, adjust as needed, either injecting insulin or taking some glucose or whatever. Um, and a lot of those dogs will also – so even, like, for younger kids who don't know as much, they can be trained to alert someone else in the household or set off some kind of alarm or something like that as well. Hmm. And then this is kind of re- – not really related, but this is um, also scent-based. So there are seizure alert dogs um, oh, yeah. that – can supposedly they have like an ability to naturally detect a seizure before it happens and to alert them it's supposedly I was reading more articles about this it's like really hard to train but some dogs just naturally have that ability and it's not necessarily breed specific or anything Um, they just can sense it yeah and there's been a lot of articles about dogs without training who accurately predict and alert someone of an oncoming seizure and some people swear by it but like the science is really kind of sketchy on this and like I said it's generally it seems like not something you train the dog either has the ability or doesn't but um if they have the ability you can usually teach them how to alert properly but uh it could be anywhere from like a few seconds beforehand to 45 minutes beforehand and it can help someone who has seizures get into like kind of a safer place to yeah and just make them more comfortable if they're leaving the house or something especially one that like can give them a pretty good warning you know that they're not going to be like out in public and or you know an unsafe area and I don't know whatever so just give them more confidence there but this is less controversial they're seizure response dogs and that will help someone who's experiencing a seizure so it's not necessarily the predicting is what's a little bit there's kind of like mixed evidence on but Mm. A dog can be trained to recognize when someone's actually having a seizure, help them get to a safe place, or help them come back around when the seizure ends, or follow up, or get help for them, or bring medicine, or a phone, or something like that. Yeah. So You know what's interesting? Mm-hmm. Is what? um, just in general how intuitive dogs are. Because um, yeah. I was at a party over holiday over the holiday break, and I was um, at someone's house, and they had a dog. And I was feeling really anxious, and mm-hmm. um, and I don't really know why. I I've was with people who I've known for a while, but um, I just was starting to feel really anxious all of a sudden, and I almost felt like I was having like a little panic attack. Mm-hmm. And the dog came up to me, and it put its paws up on my chair, and it started pawing at me, and I started petting it, and it it was a bigger dog, and it crawled into my lap it was probably like a 45 pound dog and it like forced its way onto my lap and it sat with me for the rest of the night that's amazing I know and it made me it like made me feel so much better and it was just so interesting that like I was struggling and like no one else around me could tell but this dog came right up to me and like was determined to sit in my lap and it calmed me right down well, it is interesting because, I mean, we know dogs have a really good sense of smell. They also have better hearing than we do. And they also mm-hmm. are just, um, basically, they're taking in a lot of information about body language and stuff. So that's why, in part, they think they're so good at this kind of thing. Um, hmm. So the next one is a psychiatric service dog. So this could be people who have depression, anxiety, PTSD, whether from, like, serving in combat or being a first responder or abuse or natural disaster or whatever the thing that I was expecting to read for this type of dog was kind of what you were just talking about like just kind of that like comforting side Mm -hmm. of detecting anxiety and like helping someone through it and that that is a part of it and it also can the person caring for their service dog helps them take care of themselves because it helps them like get out in the world and exercise their dog and just kind of like have something else there but they also talked about if they feel overwhelmed in public places, they can create a physical barrier between the person and other people around them, giving them more personal space. It, mm-hmm. If they're nervous about entering a home because of something that happened to them, they'll like enter buildings first. They can even be trained to turn on lights and all that. So there are some like other kind of task oriented things that I hadn't really thought about that a dog can do to help someone who's had or it suffers from one of these things. Um, and then uh, autism support dogs kind of do some some similar things in involving helping children navigate social settings and being sort of that barrier slash icebreaker in for a kid who's less comfortable in groups or has mm-hmm. trouble interacting with other people 
Um, and they can also be trained to keep children from running away or to track children if they do run away. So I guess Ooh, that's useful. Yeah. That's funny because um, when we when we went home for Thanksgiving to Western PA, we saw my little nephew who was six month six months old, and we had to leave Banjo with um, my mother in law, so she stayed at the house where the baby was. Mm-hmm. And my mother in law texted me like three days later, and she was like, "Banjo is becoming so protective of the baby." So, like, she would take the baby and put him upstairs in his crib, and Banjo would run upstairs and lay on the bed next to the baby. And then whenever she brought the baby down, Banjo would come downstairs and, like, lay on the couch next to the baby. And she said, whenever the baby started to cry, Banjo would start to cry. (laughs) That's so good to hear, though. I know. I I was like, thank God. Well, and it's funny because Toby's still so puppy and he gets so excited around people. He just loves mm. people and he'll like jump on people. He's small, but still like it's not a big deal for like an adult person who likes dogs, but it could be a big, but it's like he knows he can like pick up on, He never he's never jumped on my little two-year-old cousin who loves dogs and is actually kind of, I mean, he's two, <laughs> so he's still learning how to be gentle and stuff. And Toby's been like so good and so patient with Aww. him. And I, like, was not really expecting that because he's kind of crazy with adult people. But <laughs> it's funny. Um, and then the last kind that I'm going to talk about is allergy de- detection dogs. So oh. uh, they can alert people to, like, especially peanuts, gluten, hmm. etc. Especially for kids who aren't really at the age where they can manage that themselves a lot of times. Yeah. It seems like the service dog can be really helpful. Hmm. I feel like my Glendor wish of the week now is going to be for Banjo to instinctively develop one of these skills. Yeah, I mean, that would be really great. Toby is not going to do that. Actually, it would be great because Chad has a nut allergy, so it'd be really cool if she could detect that. Although she barks nonstop, so how would we know? (laughs) We'd be like, are you barking because there's a nut in there or because there was a strange sound in the hallway? (laughs) I know, that's part of it. You have to like figure out what is unusual behavior or what's alerting behavior I'm still trying to figure out when Toby like wants to go outside versus when he's just being annoying but um so I also read a lot about um because I've been flying with Toby before too and there's been a lot of stuff on fake service Mm -hmm. dogs on planes and things like that and so a lot of these articles also talked about sort of the public safety risk of fake service dogs and how it is like first of all it's just completely rude is the wrong word it's like something much bigger than that but like for for legitimate service dogs if they're being Mm -hmm. kind of classified in the same group and these dogs aren't properly trained and they could be aggressive or or attack an actual service dog or anything like that so like there are people and sometimes you can't see what their disability is who really need their dog and so it can also be sort of that kind of careful line of there are only two questions that businesses and public entities can ask they can say is is this a service dog that is required because of a disability they don't just say what kind of disability but they're allowed to ask that and they can ask what task is the dog trained to do but they aren't supposed to ask about the nature of the disability request proof or documentation and stuff and so it's just it's kind of one of those tricky things where it's like when people take advantage of it it's ruins it for people who actually need it kind of thing of course yeah that's a huge i bet that's a huge problem yeah, and I've read a lot about it, too, because I like to fly with my dog, and so there's been a lot of articles about, like, oh, if you want to fly free, like, if it's a service dog, they won't charge you and stuff, so I've, like, just... Oh, no. But also, there's been all this stuff about, you know, I mean, you've read about, like, people bringing, like, other animals onto planes and claiming their emotional support animals, which is different yep. from a service animal in the first place, but um, that was also interesting. I read that dogs are the only animal recognized as service animals. Oh, I didn't know that. Although, I also read, in some cases miniature horses can also be recognized but i I didn't hear the details about that necessarily but cats reptiles birds um could be considered an emotional support animal but they are not protected under the ada so i just thought that was kind of oh my gosh could you imagine someone like trying to board a plane with like a penguin or something i feel like people i've read articles i feel people have done it with like parrots and like turkeys or like you know all kinds of stuff so um and i'm not you know i'm an animal lover i'm not trying to say that that doesn't bring you some emotional support but it's just also like it's sort of like we do need to draw some lines at some point because yeah what what I really think they should do some airline could just make money by catering to people who want to fly with their pets which are different than service animals too even if you know a pet oh you know just be like a pet friendly airline and like understood that everyone will yeah have because I think that's also part of it because some people are scared of dogs or are allergic to cats or you know something like that so that's also part of I think what 
airlines are trying to avoid by letting too many pets on board or having stricter having stricter mm-hmm. restrictions for pets but but yeah so I thought that was kind of interesting and I really someday hope that I have the ability to help train a scene eye dog or take a puppy in that goes off to training school one day but uh based on how well Toby is trained it I might not be up for the task we'll see well that can be your Glendor wish of the week yes that I learn that ability and become really good and produce all these great service dogs for the world but so this other thing I looked up because I thought it was so (laughs) funny when Blue was driving and she was talking about all the things on the car and she was talking about like the bacon oh yeah the bacon (laughs) indicator and I don't even know how I ended up here but I I found this website that like talks about it shows just different images on different parts of a car whether it's stickers or buttons or indicator lights and it lists all these funny misinterpretations and their real meaning so the real meanings are all legit, but it's just like the cup holder one, the misinterpretation is like master shake signal or, oh, the, like the key fob, which, you know, has like your unlock, lock, <laughs> alarm, and click twice to open the trunk button. They go, misinterpretation, purse may spontaneously break, red flying saucer beacon, <laughs> double trunk size. <laughs> like, was if there's a button where you could just double your trunk size or something? I want that. Um, seat bacon is seat heater or seat summon bacon. the seat snakes. <laughs> uh, I don't, there are just some funny ones that I was like, this is actually hilarious. And then when you start looking at these images, even the ones, you know, really well, and you're like, yeah, how did I ever figure that out? Sort of. So, uh, I also researched the murder squash song. Oh my goodness. Is that a real song? <laughs> so I thought it was a real song at first because I found it online and I was super excited. Um, so it is a song, but it's a song that a fan made um, about the song that they sing in the book. So the book came first, and then a fan actually made a song, though? Yes! That it is, is awesome. Awesome. I know, I was super excited. <laughs> but, but I thought it was like just some like camp song that I didn't know that was like popular in Virginia or something. That's what I thought, too. Well, I thought, it was, I thought the book was referencing an actual song. Um, but then I looked at Maggie Steve Otter's blog and she was, and someone asked her that. They were like, is the Murder Squash song a real song? And she was like, no, it's not a real song, but I hope one day that there are a million fan versions. So there is a fan version. It's by an artist named Harbor. And she actually gave us permission to play it on the podcast. So we will play it at the end of the show. That's so cool. It's so good. Oh my goodness. I can't wait to hear it. That, that's actually really, really cool. I wish I could just like write a song. I know, like just be inspired by a book and write a song based yeah. on based on two lyrics that they give us in the book. Like literally, all Ronan says is "Hey, squash one, squash two, and that's it." They get cut off. I know they only say like the same two lines over and over again. So it's very impressive, and the lyrics are great. What does she write other book songs? Can she um, make all of our artistic dreams come true one day? In terms of, I know. Yeah. I know <laughs> I mean, the song's pretty good, so she's probably capable of that. Okay, cool, cool. Well, uh, so you said you'll play it at the end? Yeah. Awesome. You just reminded me, it wasn't really related at all, but there have been quotes at the beginning of the books that we've never talked about. So this one, one of them was, I'm looking for the face I had before the world was made by William Butler Yeats. And then, let us be grateful to the mirror for revealing to us our appearance only by Samuel Butler. Ooh, I like that one. Yeah, I think they're both kind of interesting, and I'm curious to see. We've had a lot of talk about mirror magic, and we had the mirror with Noah's to break the Noah eye creepy thing that was going on and the cursed land and a lot about, you know, people's identity changing or shifting. Like, even Adam has been saying, he just said recently, like, I don't know, I wouldn't necessarily wish to get rid of Cadeswell at this point. Yeah. Even though, like, every time it tries to talk to him, it, like scares the bejeebies out of him but i know that's so it's like that is really creepy how it's talking to him and and it's like trying to get his attention like it just wants to be listened to but the way it does it is like super creepy well and he made it sound like he was checking the tarot cards every day to like have a conversation like checking his email or something basically and then school started and he just forgot and i just like don't understand how you forget that you're possessed by like a forest that's gonna haunt you that you're crawling around every other day anyways like it just it like boggles my mind that he can just forget about that well I guess he has other things too on his mind because like his fa- they did mention that his father's court date is coming up that's true I kind of forgot about that so like that's big and it's their senior year and 
I don't know. I'm, I'm curious, too, about, like, what's going to happen after they graduate. Because I think, wasn't it Orla who was kind of mean to Blue? And she yeah. was like, oh, next year all the boys are going to be going to these fancy schools. And they're going to leave you behind. And, like, that kind of made Blue start to think, like, they're all really infatuated with each other right now. But what will happen down the road? Yeah. Well, we also, one of them is supposed to die this year anyways. One of them is half of a magical forest one of them is already dead i'm kind of like you'd be lucky if that's your biggest problem in this friendship in a year that you've all gone off to different yeah, that's very true. and even if she went to a good school the likelihood of they'd, them all going to a good, the same good school would i don't know anyways that seemed like such a normal thought for a senior year thing like i remember feeling that way mm-hmm. so it was kind of cool but it was just kind of funny how it like that fit in with everything else when it's like but also your mom is vanished and one of your friends is a ghost, and one of your friends is supposed to die, and one of your friends is possessed, and one of your friends pulls things out of his dreams. But yeah, you also might go to different schools next year. <laughs> yeah, you have much bigger problems. Um, question for you. Do you think that Gainsey is really going to die? Uh, I still kind of... Well, I felt more like... Once we found out that he had been... He basically died before from a bee sting and came back... That's sort of what I thought was going to happen in the future before we knew that. Like, he was going to die mm-hmm. but survive. You know, like, he, he technically, have, his heart would have stopped or something. But, it, but like, now right. that that's already happened to him, that seems unlikely. So, I don't know. I keep going back and forth. I know. I'm wondering if it's going to be something, because you know how they keep saying how, like, time is circular? Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if it'll be something like that where it's, like, he already died and so that somehow fulfills the prophecy. Yeah, so kind of related to the beasting yeah. stuff. Yeah. But honestly, I have no idea. With the way this book's going, we're all we're going to be very surprised. I know. I can't predict pretty much anything. Do you think that we're going to find Blue's mom before the end of this book or do you think it'll be book 4? I think we're going to find her at the end of this book. And what Okay, what I think this blue lily lily blue thing. What was the whole like poem or whatever? Oh. Queens and kings, kings and queens, blue lily, lily blue, crowns and birds, swords and things, blue lily, lily blue. And where do they see that? That was when Kala and Blue were in Mora's room and Kala touched the the scrying bowl or whatever. Mm. But yeah, we didn't get much detail about that. That was just like an unfamiliar voice chanted in her head. So I'm kind of (laughs) curious, especially because it's the title of the book how that all fits in yeah i'm sure we'll i bet it will fit in 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 the second half because these books have been really good about like wrapping up everything that's in that one book and then throwing something completely new at the end yep (laughs) yeah so i feel like we're gonna find blue's mom we're gonna see what's in the ditley cave um green mantle's gonna be taken down that's my prediction at least green mantle's probably gonna die because we keep just killing off the villains yeah exactly (laughs) Um, do you want to hear a joke? I would love to hear a joke. Okay. I saw this one on Instagram. It made me laugh. I went to the zoo and saw a baguette in a cage. The zookeeper told me it was bred in captivity. (laughs) 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 That's so dumb. Uh, I love it. That is such a dad joke. So for next week, we are going to finish Blue Lily, Lily Blue and see if any of our predictions come true. And in the meantime, if you guys want to get in touch with us, you can email us at mnktalkya at gmail.com. You can also Instagram or Facebook us at mnktalkya. And you can tell us your version of the squash murder song. <laughs> or what was the other thing we were going to have if people have done? Well, the Glendor wish. Yes, always your Glendor wish. What books we should read next year. If you've come across any cursed objects. <laughs> Basically anything you want. We'd love to hear from you. Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. Squash one, squash two, squash three, squash four. Your skull's not as hard as the boots I bore. Squash three, squash four, squash five, squash six. I'm not really sad that it's come to this. Cause in the night I will rain down a thousand feet from a thousand towns. Squash one, squash two, squash three, squash four.
Into the deep 